You know, in the day and age that we live in, uh, even, you know, the, the year 2020 that was, uh, the Bible continues to be one of the, well, the best-selling book of all time. Year after year after year, it's the top of the list. And, and actually, it's also at the top of the list of the most shoplift book every single year. Um, but as uh, the Bible is the most unusual yet remarkable book that we have ever encountered. Of course, its influence has been seen throughout the world. It has been examined and cross-examined by friend and foe for years. We, but we live in a time where, although the Bible is readily available to us, and while people are still purchasing it, it's almost as if we are not um, opening them as much. Uh, you know, I have mentioned before that uh, some of the older preachers that I've learned under, that I've studied under, have told stories that, you know, that the, the New Testament Christians used to be known as people of the book. They used to be known as book, chapter, verse people. If someone had a question about where in the Bible I can find something, they would know the book and the chapter and the verse of where to go. And if we are to be able to defend this book, defend this book, how would we do that if we're not studying it, if we're not opening it up on a regular uh, basis? You know, we, we think of in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 11, how, how when Paul had left Thessalonica, he, was, he went to Berea, and he was told that the Bereans were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word eagerly, and they were examining the scriptures daily. And, and Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we need to be diligent to show ourselves approved to God as a workman who no, does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Well, what is the word of truth? Uh, Jesus said in, in, in John 17.17 17, to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We know that God's word is the truth, that we should buy it and not sell it, that uh, we can know the truth. And the truth can set us free. It's important for us to know the truth and to, to study it and so that we can be set free from sin. And so do we revere the Bible? That's the question that we're going to ask ourselves this evening. Do we hold it in high regards or do we just treat it as another book, as another book on our bookshelf? So why do I believe? Why do you believe? Is it a blind faith? Do you just believe that, that, that the Bible, uh, not really studying it, but just that uh, you hope that it's true? Or maybe it's your, your parents' faith that you're uh, basing your lives on? Well, look at First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Look what Peter has to say here in this verse. And this is a verse that, you know, I'll, I'll let you know that when I first became a Christian, this was a verse that was... Uh, brought to my attention, uh, one of the first verses that I w was told that, you know, I needed to study this verse, meditate upon this verse, and think upon this verse. And then this is what it reads here. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And that word right there, to make a defense in the Greek, it's apologia. Uh, we get our word apology or apologetics from that word, and it means to make a reasoned, logical defense or a reasoned argument. If someone comes up to you and asks you, why do you believe the Bible? Or, or why do you believe in a God or, or a man who, who was the son of God that lived on the earth? 
as Christians, we are to be able to make a ready defense, to give a logical argument for the hope that is within us. And do you and I have an answer to that? You know, why, if this Bible is the, is the most popular book in the world, why is it uh, that it is that way? Do I have an answer? Can I show someone why I believe that the Bible is inspired of God, that it's heaven sent? And so I want us to consider this, this evening as we go through some of, these, uh, some of these reasons why, some of these divine attributes, and we'll notice some of these, because maybe some of these you can use in your own personal study. Or if you ever get asked that. And so the first one I want us to notice is that the Bible claims to be an inspired book. The scripture is God-breathed. We're told that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul said, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture is inspired by God. Paul was affirming that scripture is the product of the breath of God. That word... Um, that word there for inspired, all scriptures inspired by God, that literally means God breathed out these words. These are God breathed words. A man did not produce them, uh, but they came from God. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter says this. He says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This means that the scriptures, though written by means of humans, though people like John and Paul and Peter were used by God through the Holy Spirit to, to write the scriptures for us, it was still the whole process was superintended by God. God, through the Holy Spirit, gave these men the words to write down and they wrote them down in, in their own hands. If you're still in 1 Peter, look at what 1 Peter says in chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. He's, he, here he writes, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter here in chapter one, he's telling us that the inspired spokesman did not always understand all the information that was given by God through them. The, the prophets were writing what God was giving to them to write down, and they didn't always understand that. They, they wanted to know, even as it says there in verse 12, the angels longed to know these things. But it was the Spirit of Christ that was operating upon them. And Peter was claiming that inspired men had their minds engaged as they produced inspired material, but the product was God. It was inspired by God, breathed out by God. The Bible claims to be of divine origin. If you were to read Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in our Bibles, in our English Bibles, 176 verses, in 175 of those, it claims to be the Word of God. Over and over again in those verses, it claims to be the Word of God. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament alone, over 3,800 times does the Bible claim to be the Word of God. Uh, it'll say something to the effect of, thus says the Lord, or, or the Lord put on my tongue as the prophets were speaking. The Bible claims to be of God. 
And skeptics will say, well, listen, you can't prove the Bible by using the Bible. But don't we realize that we can't use that sort of reasoning in different areas of our lives? Uh, we wouldn't get away with that. Even the, the common criminal who is standing in, on trial for a crime that he committed, he has the opportunity to defend himself. Does he not? If there were two women in this congregation who both lost diamond rings, maybe they lost a diamond out of their ring and it was lost somewhere here in the church building and they both have a claim that they have lost a diamond ring and someone, maybe one of the little kids actually finds one of those diamonds and he holds it up and says, you know, I found one of these diamonds. Well, what would we do? Both women have a claim to have lost a diamond uh, the easiest thing would to do would be to take that diamond to a jeweler, have the jeweler look under a high-tech microscope and see what maybe there – hopefully there would be some sort of serial number upon that on, – uh, on that diamond. And they would be able to identify whose diamond that was. Right? It's ridiculous to believe that we can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. There are other books in this world that uh, – that uh, claim to be inspired. Uh, of course, uh, the Quran, which the, the Muslim religion uses, claims to be inspired. The Book of Mormon uh, that the Mormon church uses claims to be inspired too. But do I need to read all of those to know uh, which one is the truly inspired book? Well, of course not. If I can prove that this book here is of divine qualities, if I can prove that this book here is not the product of man, I don't need to examine everything else. My wife, Angela, uh, before we got married and through, throughout the beginning of our marriage, she worked as a bank teller for quite a while, uh, part-time for about 10 years or so. And she was obviously, uh, being a bank teller, she had to handle a lot of cash throughout the day. And, and they trained their employees on how to spot counterfeit money. Now, they didn't have her look at and study counterfeit money, but what did they do? They had her study real, the real thing. Right? Study the real thing because if you know the characteristics and how the real thing looks and how it's supposed to work, you'll know if a counterfeit comes up in your way. Right? And that's the same thing with, with Scripture. Scripture tells us that it's inspired, and if we study it, if we understand that it is divine in nature, we don't need to read and study everything else that's in uh, this life. If the Bible is not from God, then it is not a good book because it claims from beginning to end to be inspired. The Bible claims to be an inspired book. Another attribute of it that, that the Bible is a consistent book uh, the Bible is not, as some claim to be, one big, long storybook, a storybook full of Jewish fables and fairy tales. But it's a, a collection of 66 books, right? There, there's 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, but all of them are unified in their message. There were some 40 different writers of various and diverse backgrounds. Most of these individuals never met each other. They included fishermen. They included priests. Kings, shepherds, farmers, and this book was written over a period of fifteen to sixteen hundred years, from Moses to to the John the Apostle when he wrote Revelation. It was written on three different continents in three different languages. Yet there is this consistency. 
throughout the message that the glory of God and the salvation of man through Jesus Christ the Lord. And again, we see that from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Every word in every verse and every paragraph of every chapter of every book has a vital connection with the purpose statement. Well, how can you account for this if it's not of divine origin? It's only explainable on the grounds that a single mind lies behind it all. That mind would have to transcend time and language and geography and culture and circumstances. It would be, need to be someone who is all-knowing and all-powerful and immutable and eternal and spiritual in nature. The Bible's unity, the fact that the Bible is unified from beginning to end, it's a, again, this is a proof of inspiration. Another reason why I believe the Bible to be inspired is that the Bible is also an objective book. See, the Bible lays out the good and the bad of its main characters. We, threw the, we see this throughout Scripture. It, it records both the morality and the immorality, the triumphs and failures, the glorious events and the scandalous events in the lives of its heroes. You remember in Exodus, uh, Moses, remember, he, he wrote the book of Exodus. And you remember when, when we first meet him there in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, he had plenty of excuses, did he not? When God came to him in that burning bush and he told him that he needed to go to Pharaoh, Moses did not want to do that. And again and again and again, he, he claimed that he just couldn't do it. That he didn't have the willpower to do it, that he was too shy to do it. Why would Moses write such things about himself? Right? Why would he do that? Remember David, King David, loved so much by the, the, the Israel nation he commits adultery with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. He murders her husband Uriah and tries to cover it up. The Bible tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. Why would those who were writing the, the, these great lessons to be recorded in their history have included such uh, scandalous events? We, of course, in the New Testament, Peter. Peter, who's an apostle and an elder in the church, eventually, he denies the Lord three times. Yet Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record that for us. Again, it, it, the Bible is an objective book. Judas, Judas uh, had gone down in history as the ultimate uh, traitor. You know, he, he betrayed the Son of God for those 30 pieces of silver. And like in our American history, uh, you know, we, when we think of a traitor, we think of Benedict Arnold. Uh, he is the epitome of this disloyal, uh, backstabbing individual. And how would we expect mere men, mere men unguided by divine power to speak of Judas? You know, you can just imagine how people um, a couple hundred years ago would have spoken of Benedict Arnold. But when every time we read of Judas in the scriptures... We're noted of his betrayal, but that's pretty much it. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 4, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. In John's gospel, in John chapter 18, verse 2, he says, Now Judas also, who was betraying him. You know, if the Bible was written by mere men, wouldn't they have a vendetta to, to write some nasty things about this man, Judas? This man who, who turned his back on the Son of God. But yet we see that this is an objective book. And this, again, points to divine qualities. See, if I wrote this book, I probably wouldn't have mentioned these things. Right? I wouldn't have mentioned Moses and being timid and scared or David and the scandalous nature of those events or even Peter uh, denying our Lord three times. 
But yet the Bible shows their flaws and exposes their weaknesses. You and I would have met had these men looked like superheroes. Right? We wouldn't have included these things. But again, the Bible is an objective book and portrays these men accurately and truthfully. And again, this is another mark of inspiration. We also want to notice that the Bible is a restrained book. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 12. The Bible is a restrained book where man would just inform and inform us on significant events. One of the most momentous events in the early church took place in Acts chapter 12. If you're there, start with me in verse 1. Luke records, Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Did you catch that? Did you catch that in verse 2? James, the son, or excuse me, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, two of Jesus' 12 apostles. In verse 2, we are told he was put to death by a sword. The first apostle to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And yet one verse, one verse attributed to his death. His death must have been a shocking blow to the early church. Today's media would be running this story nonstop, right? A 24-7 media. But we see there's no eulogy. We see there's no memorial. But the Holy Spirit mentions him and his death just once. The Bible is restrained. There are other restrained features, such as the fact that, that we, we are never given a description of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the main character in the gospel accounts, and yet we, uh, we're never told what he looked like, how tall he was, you know, where, what he weighed. These are things that we would want to know. These are things that we would put in a biography. And we also notice that it omits most of his 33 years in the flesh. Mark and John, actually, they don't even speak of his birth. They just get right into the story. Again, the Bible is a restrained book. It was once reported that Abraham Lincoln, in print, was one of the most memorable individuals in human history. It was said that more than 15,000 books and counting have recorded the life and influence of our 16th president of the United States. And one historian was even quoted as saying this, that he believes there's still much more to say about Honest Abe. Yet if mere man wrote the Bible, I think more than one verse would have been attributed to the life of the first apostle who was martyred for the cause of Christ. But God tells us what we need to know, and he doesn't elaborate unnecessarily to satisfy our human curiosity. And again, we see this over and over and over again in the word of God. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter there says that the Bible, that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything that we need to know in this life pertaining to life and godliness, he has given it to us. That, again, is another feature of why I believe the Bible. It's a restrained book. Again, another reason is that it's an accurate book. The Bible's not a science textbook. It's not a a geographic textbook. It's not a history textbook. But when it speaks scientifically, when it speaks historically, uh, when it talks about uh, geography, it is always accurate. Uh, Just to bring up a few verses in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, we read here 
uh, that, that Isaiah records. In Isaiah, again, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, and I'll get there with you. Isaiah records this. He says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. You notice that first part in that verse, Isaiah says that it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Well, of course, uh, when we learn in our history classes for years and years and years, people thought the earth was flat, right? But, but in Isaiah's writings, 700 to 800 years before Christ lived on this earth, the Bible tells us that the earth was circular, that it wasn't flat. And we can see instances like these throughout the text as well. Uh, one more I want to give you is in Job chapter 26 and verse 7. Job here, the, the great patriarch, records for us in Job chapter 26, verse 7. He says, he stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Again, how does he know this? How does Job know that the earth hangs on nothing? If, if this wasn't something that scientists discovered much, much recently, how did he know this? Unless it's of divine origin. You know, the Bible often speaks about how the stars are innumerable, right? And we can go back in science textbooks and they'll give you a set amount and they'll tell you, you know, we believe that there's, you know, uh, two million stars in the universe. And every year it seems like that number is growing and growing and growing, right? But God says they are innumerable. And when we think, when we think scientifically, we can also think historically, I just want to give you one example of this in the book of Acts in chapters 27 and 28. It's a very uh, significant chapter where Paul has been arrested and he's being sent to Rome. And there is a lot of geography in these two chapters. There's a lot of travel. They're going from island to island. They're going from place to place. Uh, they're traveling during uh, the winter months and, and such. And so all of this has been laid out in these two chapters in the book of Acts. And in 1848, there was a Scotsman by the name of James Smith. He was an authority on ancient shipbuilding and navigation, and, but he was also a Bible critic. And he decided to investigate the details of Luke's record in Acts 27 and 28, his voyage to Rome and the shipwreck. And so he examined every single passage in detail. He traced out the paths just as Luke recorded that Paul did. He stayed the entire winter in Malta just like Paul did. We're told in Acts 28 verse 11. And he checked every single detail. Is this record accurate or not? Is it infallible? And he came to the conclusion that it was exactly as Paul had said. It was exactly how Luke recorded it. In his book, The Voyage and Shipwreck of St. Paul... The Bible scholars say nothing written in the past 150 years surpasses it today. Everything is extremely accurate. The Bible is an accurate book. The final point I want to make this evening is that the Bible is an enduring book. This is why I believe the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 35, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There have been many attempts to uh, stamp out the Bible over the years. We can see that. Uh, we can see examples of that in Scripture. If you were to turn to Jeremiah chapter 36. In, in Jeremiah chapter 36, we have the account of Jeremiah the prophet who was given the word of God by revelation of God. And he wrote down the words of God on a scroll. 
And, and look in verses, starting in verse 22 of Jeremiah 36, that Jeremiah records for us. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning in the brazier before him. When Jehuda had read three or four columns, the king cut it with a scribe's knife and threw it into the fire that was in the brazier until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. This was the only scroll that existed at that time that Jeremiah had written it out and the king took it, cut it up with a knife and threw it into the fire. But then as we read onwards in verses 27 through 32, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after the king had burned the scroll and the words which Baruch had written at the dictation of Jeremiah saying, take again another scroll and write on it all the former words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, what have you written on it? That the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will make man and beast to cease from it. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will also punish him and his descendants and his servants for their iniquity. And I will bring on them and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah all the calamity that I have declared to them. But they did not listen. Verse 32. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Barak, the son of Neriah, the scribe, and he wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. We see in this account in Scripture that men have tried to stamp out the word of God, to, to cut it up, to throw it into the fire, to get rid of it, and we can also see that in our own history. It wasn't but 500 years ago, five to 600 years ago, when the, the first printing press was created and men who uh, staked their lives to get the, the Bible into the English language, to get them on a printing press so that the average person could have it, could own it in their own lives. Those men put their lives at risk. They were burned at the stake for doing this. The French philosopher and atheist by the name of Voltaire, he predicted that within a hundred years after his death, the Bible would cease to exist. Uh, to be published and known, it would go out of it in existence. And he died in 1778. And 50 years later, 50 years later after his death, a printing press opened up in his former existence. And guess what one of the first books printed at that press was, ironically? The scriptures, the word of God. I want to leave you uh, with, with a, a poem. I'm not usually much for, for reading poems, but this is a poem that I have uh, read quite a bit. And it's uh, by John Clifford, and it's called The Hammer and the Anvil. And this is how it goes. Last eve, I paused beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he, and with the twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word for ages skeptics blows have beat upon. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unhanged, the hammers gone. 
You know, Peter says something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Again, this is why I believe the Bible, that the Bible is an enduring book. It is still here today. See, there are certain characteristics of, of Scripture that point to divine origin. Uh, for me, it's inspired, it's consistent, it's objective, it's restrained, it's accurate, and it's enduring. And we didn't even deal with, with one of the best evidences of all of prophecy. Right? We, we could spend hours and hours looking at the prophecy uh, that were written seven, eight hundred years before uh, they happened and came true time and time again. But this is why I don't have a blind faith. When, when I look, read 1 Peter 3.15, that I can make a ready defense to anyone who asks for the hope that is in me. And because of this internal evidence, I know that this book is special. And again, always be ready to make a defense, as Peter warns us. This is is a book, if not from God, it's unexplainable. But do you have the same conclusion this evening? Do you have the same conclusion? Why do you believe the Bible is the word of God? This evening, if you're here with us this evening and, and you're ready to become a child of God, that you've studied the scriptures, you know what the scriptures teach, uh, we, we would love the opportunity to help you in your walk with Christ. Of course, uh, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and has been baptized shall be saved, and he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Or if you're here this evening and you need the prayers of the congregation, uh, you, you need to ask for forgiveness and anything, uh, again, this is the best time to do that. We would love the opportunity to help you as you walk in your Christian lives. Uh, as together we stand and sing this song of invitation.